I am willing to wager 20,000 pounds. I will make a tour of the world in 80 days or less. You accept? I accept, I accept. Train leaves for Dover this evening. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello everyone and welcome to 80 Days in Exploration podcast. Today's podcast, as usual, is brought to you by three history and geography nerds in an internet power balloon. This podcast is dedicated to discussing little-known countries, territories, settlements, and cities from around the world. You guys know the gist by now. My name is Luke Kelly. I'm broadcasting from Hong Kong and joining me today are... Mark Boyle in Surrey in the UK. And Joe Byrne in Bern, Switzerland. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about the US state of Wyoming, also known as the Equality State or the Cowboy State. Admitted to the U.S. as the 44th state in 1890, Wyoming has always been among the least populous states in the nation. Roughly rectangular in shape and located in the western part of the country, straddling the continental divide, Wyoming is the 10th largest state by area, and its current population is just over 585,000, making it the second least densely populated state after our old friend Alaska. The climate here is semi-arid and continental, drier and windier than the rest of the U.S., with greater temperature extremes. The state is famous as the home of the first U.S. National Park, Yellowstone, and the first U.S. National Monument, Devil's Tower. Historically important industries include coal, cattle, and tourism. Ah, so Joe, do you want to kick us off with the early history of Wyoming? Yeah, yeah, so um, it's, as a state, it's pretty new. Um, which is is nice. It's something I think we forget about the U.S. is that like for a long time it was just the East Coast. Yeah, a um, lot of it didn't exist before. A lot of it. Sort of well, it existed, and uh, that's just that's what I'm, not I'm as part of the now. U.S. But, but not to yeah. white people, it didn't exist. There yes. we go. A different yeah. kind <laughs> of existing. Yeah. So it's um, like I, I think a vibe we're going to get throughout the whole episode is is Wyoming sort of on the way to a lot of places. Yeah. I hesitate to use the term flyover state, which I'm sure people will, will, will not appreciate who are from there. But, it, you know, it definitely is uh, transitory for a lot of people. Like we, Well, <laughs> one, one guy on Reddit, when I reached uh, out to the, the, the Wyoming subreddit, he just told me, don't come here, we're full. And uh, so, <laughs> which they're decidedly not full because they're the least they, popular they, state. They, 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 sure. Well, it wouldn't be a wide open, beautiful place if, uh, if it was full of people like us. Trump's America, uh, maybe. The, this is the early history as, as we... You know, as as is my tradition, I'm gonna say people didn't write stuff down much. So, uh, God, God bless him. God bless him. Uh, yeah, it, it, it helps <laughs> thank, the research. Um, but in effect, we don't know so much detail about the culture of the people who were there before the 19th century. But um, there's plenty of archaeology and 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 tradition to go on. Uh, so uh, as as we found in Alaska. The first people to travel to the Americas in general, probably, although there is increasingly dispute about this, they were probably people across the Bering Strait in about 20,000 years ago, uh, when it was, during the during an ice age, bridge, when this right? was land. Yeah. yeah. Um, and passing through Alaska, and if, if you want to listen back to our Alaska episode, we, we, covered, we covered those migrations a good in a bit more detail. Wyoming region specifically, or what, what is now Wyoming, there's um, definitely evidence of about 11,000 years of habitation. So there's various bits and pieces of, of archaeological evidence going back to 
paleo cultures in this area. Uh, this would have been an era when, when there was big game, uh, megafauna, like the mammoth, the, um, the bison, the uh, mastodon, the giant ground sloths. And oh, we've heard of them before, haven't we? They're yeah, I think we had them in Uruguay as well. Uruguay, yeah, yeah, giant ground so sloths. So yeah. my conclusion is that they were delicious because there's yeah. none left anywhere. <laughs> the giant delicious sloth. They, ne- they never seem to last anywhere, yeah. They're, yeah. They're not, they haven't been around for long once humans get there. And, of course, game was hunted by, by early cultures on foot because there was no horse in, mm-hmm. in the Americas. Yeah, then 8,000 years ago, we moved from what was called a Clovis culture to what's called the uh, Eden Valley culture. I, I haven't done a huge amount of reading about the differences between these. Um, these are obviously names put on them by archaeologists uh, rather than themselves. They would have hunted bison, elk, and bighorn sheep, after which the bighorn mountains, I assume, are named. Um, they have really <laughs> big horns. Up, uh, <laughs> from about 7,000 years ago to 4,500 4, years ago, there seems to have been a significant amount of drought in the region. Um, so people actually moved off the Great Plains of America, more or less, during this period, and moved up into the mountains where it was cooler and wetter. From then on, it's evidence people returning to the plains. One of the interesting monuments left behind was called the Bighorn Medicine Wheel, which is this huge 23-metre diameter, uh, 28-spoke circle on on top of a mountain of of just rocks laid out in a a spoked circle um, on the crest of Medicine Mountain, which is 40 miles east of Lovell, Wyoming. Uh, A Crow chief said... Uh, it was built before the light came by people who had no iron. That's his uh, his dating on it. Um, probably between about fifteen hundred and five hundred years ago, and it was it was probably constructed over a long period of time. These medicine wheels are, are all over North America, from kind of Alberta, Canada, down to I think maybe as far as Texas. And their exact meaning and use isn't really clear anymore. Like a lot of megalithic monuments um, but the, it's clear That's that this cool, area was used for thousands of years in kind of ritual type use and in modern day the Shoshone or Apo, Crow and other tribes go there to, um, to venerate this site and also to fast for vision quests and so on Nice uh, it's, Yeah, it's probably worth mentioning religion um, animistic religion was common belief in kind of the spirits of things um, the kind of Native American religion that you, you would see characterised in in fiction is, is probably related to as much as we know about it Ah, just as I thought, all the stereotypes are, are true, ah, that's <laughs> convenient for me um, But vision quests are an interesting feature where um, if you want to procure the help of a, a spirit, you, you do some fasting and, and go to a lonely spot and, and beg for help Men would have traditionally also pierced their flesh or, or made some other markings on them, and women didn't. Was there um, was there any crazy, you know, uh, mushroom consumption or any other hallucinogens that were? I think I don't know if specifically in Wyoming, but definitely peyote ah. became a thing in 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 more recent centuries as part of a kind of a, a, a modern religious movement. Um, but usually, you were looking for success in, in battle or, or uh, in, in the fertility of your crops. Uh, another thing that's a feature of Native American culture, before 
interaction with Europeans is that agriculture was a thing. They did grow corn and vegetables, yes. particularly along the um, Missouri River, maybe less so on the plains. But there were villages, there were houses, and there was agriculture. And the sort of nomadic culture, while common, was not, was not, uh, was not everybody it was on every tribe's way of life and or cities and docks and various other yeah. things you know there was, it was society there was stuff it there was a society like all of the societies it wasn't yeah. some um wild land with no with no rules there were domesticated dogs which were used to pull a thing called i think a travois i think it's a french word huh. uh, which is like a v-shaped frame so there's no wheels but this technology was suitable for definitely carrying reasonably light things across the plains um, and was adapted later to, to a horse-sized frame, huh. um, which could obviously carry a, a higher load. Pretty much all Plains peoples, um, or Plains Indians, as they would be traditionally called, uh, though somewhat an accurate. Joe, tricky def- I'm, I'm Joe, not sure, you know, are you being we're probably going to use those, we're probably going to use Indians, uh, I guess that term, you know, in the, throughout the course of this episode. In, in a sort of a know. contemporary sense. This yeah. is what they were called at the time. I can't believe um, what I'm hearing. As, I yeah. really don't know what the... I mean, some of the organizations in, in, the, in the region use the word Indian to refer to themselves. So I think, well, you know, we're, we're going to get this wrong. <laughs> we apologize in advance for any offense so anyway, to anyone. Uh, but yeah, we're... But as, as, we, as we get towards the, um, the era of of uh, US expansion into the West, the Plains cultures start to look like the familiar um, aesthetic that you would be used, used to from, from Westerns. You know, p- people of these tribes lived in teepees, that were usually 10 or 15 feet in diameter. Uh, they got bigger after horses. That uh, you'd have a, which would be a, a conical tent with a smoke hole in the middle, um, with three or four poles. And, uh, you know, a, a family would live in, in one of these, sort of an extended family, maybe a couple of generations. And these would move from place to place. And from about, you know, 500 AD, we see evidence in the archaeological record of, of stone circles that were used as the basis for teepees as people moved around the plains following the bison. Uh, and also bows and arrows that were used in hunting. And, of course, the, the, the elaborate feather headdresses and so on. Uh, were part of these these cultures. Hmm. Um, also, something we forget is is that a lot of movement of people happened co- contemporaneously with with European expansion into the US. So, a lot of the people who Americans met in Wyoming and then subsequently conquered and so on hadn't been there as long as you might think. There had been people there for eleven thousand years, yeah. But you know. Um, just with the adoption of the horse and with the westward movement of, of Canadian and, and US mm-hmm. expansion, people moved around a lot. So from about the 1700s, the Eastern Shoshone adopted the horse, which revolutionized their culture, so that they would have had contact with the Spanish down towards Mexico and so on. They adopted horses before the Blackfoot people in the north, who would mostly be in, in uh, Montana, but also some in, in Wyoming. And so they frequently raided the Blackfoot Federation. They would have come from the Nevada direction, the uh, the Shoshone people. While, in contrast, the Arapaho and Cheyenne people came from the direction of the Great Lakes, from the east, ah. being displaced by westward expansion. Oh, no. 
then the last people, the last kind of major group to enter the region would be the Lakota Sioux, which came uh, quite a bit later. Oh, but basically, as, as we get to the 1800s, um, the kind of historic tribes in, in the region that is now Wyoming were the Arapaho, Arikara, the Bannock and Eastern Shoshone, who, who were usually allied, the Blackfeet, the Cheyenne, the Crow, uh, the Gros Ventre, which is a nice name. I mean, fat bellies. I oh. assume that's not a self-given uh, yeah. descriptor. The Kiowa, the Nez Perce, the Sheep Eaters, um, who we'll come back to, actually. Uh, they lived up in the Rockies in what's now Yellowstone National Park. And then there were also Sioux and Ute people. Um, that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah lots, lot of, lots of tribes. Cultures. And they had their yeah. disputes and alliances. And obviously with, with horses, these wars between the tribes became more common. Well, we're, we're glad to have made that contribution to their culture, uh, enabling them to kill each other faster. Fun, fun fact, though, even with the horse, bows yeah. and arrows were, were popular for a long time as, as the weapon of choice. So guns were introduced. Yeah. But until, you know, rapid firing... Like multi-firing guns yeah. became available. Bow and arrow was a much better hunting tool. But I guess also, I mean, guns back then were kind of crappy. They were they one were shot, which is no good for buffalo. Yeah, slow to reload and prone to breaking and yeah, so. Yeah, and so they were more a status symbol for quite a while. Than yeah, a, a whereas they've tool. got hundreds, if not thousands of years of experience with the bow and arrow. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, they know what they're doing. And, you know, arrows are in plentiful supply. Yep. Mm-hmm. After the Louisiana Purchase in 1803... The U.S. was given access to a huge, huge range of the American West that France ceded its claim on. The, you know, there was no official boundaries. France had never actually ruled a lot of this territory, but they had claimed it. And so a military expedition by, by the famous Lewis and Clark was set out to kind of map the West. And they were led actually by a Shoshone woman called uh, Saka Joea, I think is how you pronounce her name, um, who was buried in... in uh, near Fort uh, Washaki in, in, in Wyoming, in, in the Indian Reservation in Wyoming. Um, but one of the guys on, on that expedition was John Coulter, who decided to go and seek his fortune elsewhere. John Coulter was uh, he's an interesting guy. Uh, he, uh, he, so he, he was hanging out, I think it was in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia somewhere, um, and they were basically like, we need hunty wilderness type guys. Uh, and John Coulter and a few few similar type wilderness guys put their hands up. He was originally from Virginia, uh, and he apparently is of Irish stock. It was. Um, have you guys ever heard this name? Uh, like Mikaya, M I C A J A H. The 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 no. Irish patriarch was apparently Mikaja Coulter what? from Ireland. <laughs> yeah, right, think, okay. I, like Coulter is a bit of a. A prod name, something I can say as a prod. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, it's just some, some, yeah. Weird, but weird I mean, in, in, in this era of America, uh, most of the Irish immigration to America would have been Ulster Protestants. Well, I mean, it wouldn't even be be this era. It was two generations before. It was his yeah, grandfather yeah. was Mikaj. So we were seeing, talking. Catholics only really turn up after the the potato famine in the mid 1800s. Ah, yes. In uh, huge numbers. This so. famine. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were delicious. Um, anyway, so John Coulter, um, he is kind of regarded as the, and this is again, uh, 
as as white people, we acknowledge that he was not the discoverer of it, but you know, as far as, as white people were concerned, for a long time, he was probably the discoverer of Wyoming. Uh, and in that Wyoming's itself a, you know, a construct of the mind, uh, the yes. idea of such a thing was, was born. It's, with a, it. it's, it's a rectangle. Yeah, exactly. A rectangle of the mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So John Coulter, he, he, he was one of the go-to guys for the Lewis and Clark expedition. Uh, he was one of the, their most reliable fellows. This is despite the fact that he was, I think, uh, suspended for threatening to murder all of his, uh, his colleagues at one point. Uh, ah, the ghost but, of the territory. But he was, he was very useful. He was one of the best hunters and uh, frontiersmen. Uh, he was used to scout routes, hunt for food, and he actually was also one of the main guys taking messages back and forth between Lewis and Clark because they would su- they would subset into different parties to mm-hmm. you know, cover more ground, and he was one of the guys who was like pegging it over from one mountain to another. Uh, Lewis Clark says you're bollocks. Uh, Clark Clark says Lewis is bollocks, and so on. Uh, so he, he was he was trusted to take. Those, uh, I'm sure those are the kind of messages that they were sending each other. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sounds sounds accurate. <laughs> Uh, Jan, Jan is Just, a bollocks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, old timey, old timey swearing. Yes. So um, after you know, I think it was two years or so. It was eighteen oh four to eighteen oh six that the Lewis and Clark uh, expedition went on. You know, driving further and further into the uh, into the U.S. underbelly, soft, unexplored underbelly of the U.S. Um, Coulter was essentially given uh, dispensation to leave earlier because he mm-hmm. met up with some some trappers who I mean, trapping uh, of fur animals so beaver in particular was beavers was, uh, poor was beavers are having a, gonna have a rough century now the the beaver the beaver mageddon as it is now known um so <laughs> uh culture um leaves with these guys and he kind of as was seemingly kind of common uh, he became a you know a, a mountain man, uh, and they were just kind of uh, living off the land, uh, foraging, eating the meat. You can eat beaver meat, by the way. I won't tell you oh. how I know that. Uh, um, have you uh, eaten beaver meat, Mark? I I have not eaten beaver meat. I do know many people who have eaten beaver meat. Uh, wow. There are there are untold depths to me, guys. Depths mm-hmm. I can I can never share with our, our those, listeners. Those waters run deep. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I might, I might, I might drop in an anecdote from 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 that that time of my life uh, in, in a moment. But anyway, so uh, John Coulter, he he's exploring, and uh, he he probably was the first person. It's kind of hard to know actually because any history was essentially oral. It was before the invention of GPS. Um, but some of the other trappers who went with um, with John Coulter, they're they actually brought their kids back to those areas and they were like, oh, this is in Wyoming. It's like, oh, oh maybe. Okay, great. Uh, so he, he also probably discovered what was to become Yellowstone National Park. Um, yeah. it, it was known as Coulter's Hell by some of the accounts he had of, you know, geysers and sulfur and bubbling pools. Well, well, and, and so can, can I read something here? Um, oh, yes. I think this is from the Wikipedia article, um, which describes how he, how, he, how he became the first white man in, in Yellowstone. After surviving wounds he suffered in a battle with members of the Crow and Blackfoot tribes in 1809, Coulter discovered a place of fire and brimstone that most people dismissed as delirium. The supposedly imagined place was nicknamed Coulter's Hell. Over the next 40 years, numerous reports from mountain men and trappers told of boiling mud, steaming rivers and petrified trees. Yet most of these reports were not believed at the time and thought to be a myth. So it does sound bonkers. It does Uh, sound crazy, yeah. When you, I mean... But you think... when when all of the mountain men tell you something that all of these you know 
beaver clad bearded um, <laughs> beaver on the bread they've, they've just been eating too much beaver meat Joe that's, that's their problem too much beaver meat crazed for beaver yeah. Yeah. <laughs> beaver addled brains yeah. <laughs> um, okay. so yeah he, he, he probably discovered uh, Wyoming as far as you know Europeans are concerned or European uh, uh, descendants are concerned um, the Lewis and Clark expedition itself was of course a massive success they crossed the US frontier um but it was very difficult for them. They did not find that an easy journey. And um, they, it wasn't really then explored all that much for quite a long time. Um, the, the route like, was well, too... Well, it's there. Yeah. It's all there. So We, we, we did it. Yep. It's, it's like kind of Job like going done. To, they, they kind of went to the moon. We, we did it. Yeah. No more incentive. Yeah, well, let's yeah, I mean, let's that, stay that's, home that's, a, that's roughly an analogy, you, you know, that you could draw to present days. Like if, if, if an alien race gifted us a new moon... Yeah, and we just kind of went there, and we're like, "Yep, it's. I mean, it's 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 as as much it's land there. as they say it is." And it's then, a very yep, fine moon, just, and yeah, we all acknowledge there that. You go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a very yeah. fine Wyoming, and we all acknowledge that. Uh, yeah. So basically, but the route was too treacherous for wagons. Any kind of you know uh, east west west east uh, passage was very 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 difficult, particularly over the Rockies. Well, I mean that that that's the barrier. That's the yeah. big that's massive the, mountain shaped barrier. The plates. What, smashing together? I guess smashing yeah, together. That's the uh, yeah. continental divide, right? Yeah. So and which way is it going? Yeah, it's smashing together. Yeah. So they're driving the mountains upwards, mm-hmm. right? As yeah. as they say, where there is a will, there is a way. And as they don't say, but probably should, where there's a huge pile of money, there is also a will, and then subsequently, probably a way, probably <laughs> littered with corpses of of the poor. Um, enter or, or locals. Enter John Jacob Astor. Uh, the most, well, the first of the famous Astor clan. Uh, have you guys heard of the Waldorf Hotel? In- oh, Waldorf Astoria. Waldorf yeah. Astoria. Astoria, yeah. yes, indeed. Yeah, okay. Astor was himself born in the town of Waldorf in Germany, hence the name. Ah. Uh, so he was a fur trader. Uh, he was making money hand- beaver over fist, beaver hand <laughs> over beaver fist, uh, and fancy driving west to get that beaver he craved. They all crave that beaver. Um, that is the synopsis, my synopsis of that uh, beaver beaver love. Uh, so the Astrias funded an expedition uh, going from west to east to try to explore possible you know, fur trading opportunities. So they'd they, gotten to Oregon already by some other means. Yeah, they, they'd sent a boat around to okay. Oregon and uh. founded Port Astoria, which is still a thing in Oregon. Um and yeah, isn't Astoria a big a big city in Oregon? Am I mistaken? That is, that? A, that yeah, is exactly it. Is. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. They, they found Did you drive Astoria. through it on your on your West Coast trip? I might have done. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I might have been there. Um, so, like the Lewis and Clark expedition, they subset out into different groups as they were going from Astoria into the um, uh, interior of the U.S. Um, one thing I read of was uh, what one group did not fare so well. Uh, they they went to trade with the uh, Nitsitapi tribe, and they slapped one of the village elders with a fur pelt in the face. Um, ah, have some beaver. Yeah, <laughs> beaver for you, sir. That, that uh, might have been an error. That was a huge error because they were all murdered to death. Uh, wow. The, the translator uh, apparently had some relatives relatives in the Nitsitapi tribe, so they they spared him, but everybody else was murdered. Uh, and including, I think they they chased them back to their boat, and they had to burn down the boat, and yeah, it was a whole a whole to do. So it was not a very successful trip 
for reasons such as this. And it's worth uh, pointing out that, that that trading of hides and pelts with with the white man became a, an important part of the economy at this stage. Well, I, I would say it still it still sometimes kind of is because mm. I was looking at some of the species that are there in 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 Wyoming. They have a, a gray fox, coyote, bobcat, a bear, a wolf, lynx, da 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 da, foxes. Um, all of these, oh, and badgers and skunks, and all of these are um, fur-bearing animals. So mm-hmm. even even today, uh, it it can be a kind of a side income for people living in very sure areas. sure sure but it, was, it wasn't just like mountain men coming out and killing all the beavers i mean the the native americans also killed the beavers oh, and sold sure. them to because basically there was a boom in europe in, in beaver hats that was a style mm. yeah and for bison men, skins as well were very popular so the populations of these animals are pretty much decimated through the century because people be they whatever color are really bad at resource management when there's yep. money to be made indeed uh, um, As you were speaking about that giant pile of money, Mark, that's, you know, people <laughs> yeah. lose sight of a lot of things in the sight of a giant pile of money. So uh, the, the, the big kind of uh, takeaway from this uh, Aster-backed expedition was that they found the South Pass, which mm-hmm. is the equivalent of finding like a friggin', you know, naturally made highway through the Rockies. It's, it's, not, it's not the easiest pass, but it, it is basically flat and navigatable. And this was to become the, the, the route through the Rockies. Apparently, Lewis and Clark never found it because they only ever asked about rivers. They were asking the, uh, the, the Native Americans, saying, is there a river near here so they could try to navigate it? Um, and but of they, course, no river crosses the Rockies because that's not what rivers do. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so they it drain goes, to the east on one side and to the, to the Atlantic on one side and to the Pacific on the other. Which is, it, yep. it, it goes in between uh, two kind of river river basins uh uh-huh. so it's uh yeah so this was to become the, the highway between uh, east and west and was essentially what would become the oregon trail uh right. which i had only heard about as a video game before but yes i think our us has all played that video game as yeah. children yeah. um yeah. but yeah. It, it basically is the main kind of east west uh corridor and if you think of kind of people um frontier pioneers making their way out out to the out to the west trying to make their fortune this is where they would come through. They would come through mm-hmm. Wyoming and various forts were set up to kind of serve their needs. In particular, uh, one of the big ones was Fort Laramie, which gives its name now to Laramie County, which is where uh, Cheyenne, the city of Cheyenne is. It's kind so of that's the main... the, like the southeast corner. Exactly. Of... Oh, actually, just, just to mention, uh, Wyoming used to be Mexico. Uh, well, it used to be a lot of things. Yeah, it used, used to be, to be Mexico, a lot of and things. it used to be California as well. Yeah, uh, I was reading about that. That it was uh, apparently regarded as Alta California, but again, nobody ever went there. But the the Spaniards kind of claimed it a bit, and the Mexicans, and yeah, it was claimed by everybody. But uh, it must yeah, be so fun to draw weird. maps back then. It's like, where does your territory end? Uh, it, here. Have you been it, there? No. It, it's always these little bits at the south of Wyoming that get kind of like roped into other regions. It was always like that, that, that little nubbin of like Laramie has been kind of taken over by various other bits. Um, so the South Pass was a such a popular route going through the Rockies that even today you can still see what are known as trail ruts. They're about two oh, to, wow. f- to six foot deep, but they're the old tracks that were cut or worn into the sandstone for the wagons. So some of them were, you know, man-made, but some of them were just there because, you know, so many wagons went through. Uh, and, and some of them are um, preserved as landmarks now. There's like an area with a, with a bunch of them cut into the sandstone. So 
from here on you find like little oddball parties deciding they don't like their terrible lives in the east and want to have new and exciting terrible lives in the west um, but overall about 400,000 people uh, traveled west using this route so it is the Oregon Trail so Oregon was generally the kind of traditional destination whereas Wyoming was more so the road to get there so it is yeah. still kind of a a uh, wagon wagon through wagon state. over state the wagon over state exactly um so there are two big motivators that kind of spurred the use of the uh, oregon trail um one was the california gold rush in uh, mm-hmm. 1849 people started making the journey south um from generally from oregon and, and modern day canada down to um california but the fastest way was actually through the south pass um I didn't know this, but you know the San Francisco 49ers? Oh, they're the... Yeah, they're the gold, gold rush. rush. Yeah, didn't know yeah, that. Sure. But so this was this was the 49ers. They, they generally came through Wyoming for that. Or um, or as we discussed in Panama, they uh, they took a boat. Oh, yes. Also, yeah, the, the boat was a big one. The long way so, around, yeah. yeah. In retrospect, the boat was probably a wiser move. But but I think I think once... See, the, the boat was motivated by the opening of the rail corridor across yes. Panama. Yep. But un- until then, the South Pass was the main connector. I think, oh, I, I think, see. I think yeah, the rail gotcha. only opened in like the 1850s. When it was uh, probably too late to make your gold money. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so the, the gold rush happened. Gold rush was actually started by a Mormon. Uh, a, oh. a, a guy who was with the, I think it was the, the Mormon Battalion. I think they were known. They fought in the uh, Mexican-American War. Um, but... Going back to these Mormons, they are also relevant in, in, in the history of Wyoming. Uh, Joseph Smith, the uh, famed leader, he of the gold plates and the Caucasian mad stuff about Jesus and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so he, he had been killed in a town called... Uh, Ohio? Na- well, no, it was Nauvoo, uh, which I think is in Illinois. Or maybe it's Ohio. I forget where it is. No, uh, I, I recently listened to a dollop episode all about this, and I, I can't remember all the details, but they were definitely, um, there was a lot of not being welcome. Oh, yes. The Mormons around the oh, yeah. the Midwest. They, uh, they, they were driven out of a lot of places while looking for a kind of a, a promised land. Well, they, sh- they shot Joseph Smith yeah. uh, as he was in hanging prison. out of a window. Yeah, right. they shot him in prison. Uh, and then they kind of had to pass on the baton to the next leader, and the, you know, the, the church fractured quite a lot, but they eventually chose uh, Brigham Young. So this this town had 12,000 inhabitants uh, that uh, Joseph Smith had kind of, not founded, but kind of taken over a bit. Um, but they, they had this kind of like council of Mormons called the Quorum of Twelve, which I think is also from I Battlestar Galactica. Which is, I mean, well, uh, no, but the guy wow. who wrote the original Ballast Collector was Mormon. Oh my God, that's uh, mental. Oh, because they did have the Quorum of Twelve in the original. Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 Cobol, the planet they go to, is is uh, is a play on Kolob, which is the Mormon is planet it? where God lives. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of Latter Day Saints stuff this is in, deep trivia, in the original Cobol. Battlestar Galactica. The when remake it's all kind of ditched a lot of it because. But Cobol was there in the uh, in the. Uh... Yeah, so a lot of the a lot of yeah. the terminology. Well, is, uh, oh, is more holy holy frig. Um, okay, so they were not very welcome. Um, their leader had just been shot. So had his brother. Um, they had kind of fractured a bit and mm-hmm. had tried to kind of set up uh, 
townships, I think, in, in, in Missouri and uh, Iowa and a few places. None of that really worked because they were still pretty unpopular. People were just kind of suspicious of them. It was a new thing and people didn't really like it. And, so, and, and a fun uh, thing I didn't know was apparently they were very against slavery, which was unpopular in, uh, in Missouri. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, geez. So oh, that's a pro. Yeah, mm. I mean... Yeah, con con for them, unfortunately. And so, also, they they had a weird stuff about um about Native Americans, where they thought they were okay. the lost tribes of Israel. So they were kind of they were yeah. cool with them, but yeah. for they weird also reasons. That Jesus came and visited America. Yeah, isn't, isn't that right? Yeah. Mm. Some some of the stuff is not not quite so not quite so. Yeah, big. but like they they weren't big. At the, you know, as a result, they didn't want to kill all of the Native Americans. They wanted to convert them. Yeah. So it was different. That's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a different also attitude to other frontiersmen about yeah, stuff. A, a less a less killy attitude. Yeah. and I think we can all welcome that. Whatever, whatever but still pretty racist it. because it was oh. the you know 1800s. White Jesus, white Caucasian Jesus. <laughs> he drinks glasses of milk. <laughs> uh, so anyway. anyway, they they um they decided basically that they were going to set out to find their new home, their new Jerusalem, their new Zion, etc. And they started uh, going west. Uh, they thought they would cross uh, Iowa in about six weeks. They set out in 1846. Uh, sorry, four weeks, actually. Not even six. And uh, then they realized that uh, Iowa's quite big and the ground's quite uh, difficult to navigate. And uh, after, I think, 16 weeks, they realized, oh, wow, we're, we're not going to do this this year. So they settled into a place that became known as Winter Quarters in Nebraska. They... they set up camp near the Missouri River and they, they wintered, wintered there how, how, dis- um, how descriptive a name what better place to winter than winter quarters uh, and they were they were like founding little colonies as they went and you mm. know just kind of established farmsteads uh, that would make it easier for future people to na- navigate the trail um, but in 1847 147 men and a small selection of non-men which is the technical term for women um, began to set out for the Rockies from winter quarters <laughs> They were averaging about 20 miles a day, uh, something that they were tracking by counting the revolutions of the wheels of their carts. Um, that, that's how they did it. But they, wheel. They, they, that's that's, that's got to be a really tough job on whoever's doing that. It, I mean, it was really tough to the point yeah. that they invented the rodometer, which is essentially an odometer. They, they invented that to stop from counting the cartwheels. Uh, hmm. Yeah, the guy uh, that they assigned to, to count the revolutions of the wheels was just so fed up by his job. Like, I'm going to He's technology like, I'm gonna this. Invent a machine. Yeah, I'm going to invent a machine to do my job. He was just like putting his hand under the cartwheel, just letting it smash it, just to feel yeah. the sweet release of pain. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, the, the the Mormons got through in the first six weeks. They got from Nebraska into Fort Laramie in Wyoming. Uh, Fort mm-hmm. Laramie had been founded at that stage, but was still very very small. Um, they were joined by members of the so-called Mormon Battalion who had fought in the uh, Mexican-American War that I mentioned earlier. Apparently, the only battle that they had fought was to shoot a bunch of cattle that they him- they themselves had surprised. Um, but they were, you know, pretty you know, rough, tough hombres and had marched thousands and thousands of miles to serve their goal of promoting the church and proving to America that Mormons were, were Americans too and so on. Uh, so these guys joined the party. Um... The Mormon Battalion then joined uh, a body of pioneers um, and moved on through Wyoming. They met at Green River, uh, which is which was actually a weird uh, fur trapper uh, nexus point. Oh, this is where the rendezvous happened. Exactly, 
every every summer they would have a rendezvous and do a lot of trading and trade all the mm. furs uh and this was this was one of the big stops this was like um where where the mormons came as well they were also i, I, I have a description of it here from james beckworth one of the mountain men He's described mirth, songs, dancing, shouting, trading, running, jumping, singing, racing, target shooting, yams, frolic, and all sorts of extravagancies that white men or Indians could invent. So, um, sounds fun. I, I, I think I, it still exists in a touristy way now, but from uh, 1824 to 1840, it was a legit, this is where the mountain men got their supplies for the winter and sold their furs and so on from, from the season. I, to, I, yeah, between Native I, Americans and... and and Europeans and uh, the various companies run run out of uh, run out of the mountains. So uh, the, the the Mormons were riding west. Uh, they 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 were still they had basically been told that there was this basin, which is essentially Utah, that that's where they should all go. This is the great place, but it wasn't ever really kind of preordained. Like there was um, people uh, trying to get them to come to what was going to become San Francisco. Um, and they just get decided, ah, yeah, this Utah place sounds like the business. And I think they'd already kind of talked it up quite a lot, so they were kind of committed. So, um, yeah, and but this founded uh, a tradition of Mormons coming through Wyoming on their way to Utah, including what were known as the Handcart Pioneers, who were a group of, uh, well, groups of 3,000 different Mormons with 653 carts, handcarts, they were just dragging, like a wheelbarrow behind you, uh, oh 50 supply God. wagons, and 10 different groups. So, yeah, just um, bonkers amounts of people coming through uh, really tough conditions, but generally coming through Wyoming. But through Wyoming, not necessarily settling in Wyoming. Uh, there's a few things I'd like to mention oh, yeah. from here. So, so there's a place called Independence Rock along along the Oregon Trail and, and Mormon Trail. So I think they split at some point, but they, they would have shared a route up to at least Fort Laramie. Um, but this, this rock in the middle of the state, people just carved their names all over it. It's a 40 meter high granite peak and it looks like an Ayers Rock type thing. Um, and a passing Jesuit missionary described it as the register of the desert, which is quite nice. Cool. Um, wow. So, yeah, it's just covered in essentially graffiti, but graffiti of a very interesting moment in US history. Uh, and then, yes, so you, you mentioned Utah there, Mark. Um, the first guy, probably the first... European American to see the Salt Lake in Utah mm-hmm. was a guy called uh, Jim Bridger, who is an important character in, in, in the development of Wyoming. He discovered the Bridger mm. Pass in 1850, oh. which was basically an alternative to the Bozeman Trail, which I think Luke's going to talk about. Um, yeah. And but we'll just zip through this. Like, this is now the route of the Union Pacific Railroad, which again Luke will talk about, and the, the interstate. Uh, mm. So this has kind of become the main route, and I think he discovered that because there was a there was a bit of a gold rush in Montana, and this was a safer route to Montana. Uh, okay. And Jim Bridger, I think we we mentioned him beforehand, but he's mm. um, yeah he's a very famous figure in Wyoming and gen and you know generally sort of Western U.S. history, like uh, yeah, yeah, big, big mountain man. He was kind of the second yeah. generation of fur trappers. Yeah, and is represented in the the Revenant mm-hmm. as well. Although, as you pointed out earlier, in a very fictionalized form. Sure, but I mean, basically, a lot of these, this this kind of second generation of, of mountain men got to start in an 1822 expedition led by William Henry Ashley, 
and a kind of a trapping expedition and Jebediah Smith, mm. Kit Carson, Davy Jackson, all kind of many of which are famous among if you know about that bit of history. Uh, they they all went out in that expedition and um, what's his name Glass. The, oh, Hugh Glass. Hugh Glass. Hugh Glass. Yeah, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant was, was on that mission. And mm-hmm. um, one of the people who, who abandoned him was a young Jim Bridger. Oh, really? Uh, possibly. Very uplifting, um, you know. So. Anybody who wants a, a sunshiny movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Not set fun. in Wyoming, though. Just a, a lot romp. of the characters did, did end up in Wyoming later. Yeah, and yeah, Br- Bridger had an interesting life. He was very friendly with the um, with the native people of the region. He did a lot of trade with them. He he could speak conversationally a lot of the native languages, and he ended up marrying uh, his third wife. I think um, was the daughter he ended of up his... marrying his third wife. Oh, okay, yeah. right. sorry. No, his 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 third wife was the daughter. I think that all of his wives were Native American. But his third wife was the daughter of his friend, the Shoshone chief, Washaki, who was a really important um, warrior and chief in the eastern Shoshone tribe all through the 1800s. Sort of, I think he lived to be about 100, died around the turn of the 20th century. Um, wow. But he, you know, there, there were treaties signed at Fort Bridger with Washaki, uh, founding the Wind River Reservation. So... This is one of the only reservations where the natives got to pick their own territory. And also uh, represented in, in film in a more recent movie um, when, named Wind River. Which All right. Okay. Was, uh, w- was great. I would recommend anybody is set in, in the reservation that. and kind of deals with uh, present day struggles of, of uh, people who live on Indian reservations. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's the poverty levels are quite bad at the moment, but at this oh, time... Yeah. Um, it was, you know, Washaki saw the way the tide was going and he decided to engage with the Europeans to ally with them. He fought in wars against the um, the Sioux, I think. Yeah, I think he realized that the, the, the Europeans, he, he could never overcome yeah. their, you know, technologically technological superiority and uh, superior numbers as well. Yeah. So it was and kind of a smart they thing had their, they had their own enemies and if their enemies and the US enemies yeah. were the same enemies, then... Uh, that's fine. And so for the reservation, he picked the, the Wind River Valley, which is a massive valley. It's two, two million acres, I think, is, is the current extent of the reservation. And it was even bigger before yeah. before the US started welching on bits of the treaty. Yeah. And, uh, and think, this, this yeah. is basically where, where the guy, where this tribe is most happy. They did their wintering here, they did their hunting here. And so they yeah. picked that as their, their inalienable national land. I think even today, uh, again, this is from the the movie that came out last year. But um, even today, there's there's like a pitiful amount. There's like twelve police officers or something for that entire right. territory. It's nice. it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and just one last story about Washaki before we maybe take a break. He, he this is something he's very famous for because he was a, he was a mighty warrior and so on, and and a good statesman. Um, but. Yeah, there was one incident that really cemented his reputation and is kind of still commemorated, which is called the Battle of Crowheart Butt, which is a a large flat like a like a little table mountain, you know, a tiny okay. table mountain, uh, which towers over the Wind River Valley. And basically, what happened was in 1863, the Shoshone had signed this treaty at Fort Bridger, establishing this lovely mild valley as their their home. And a few years later, some of the Crow uh, 
Indians started to encroach on their hunting grounds. And Washaki gave them a while and they wouldn't leave. And so he sent envoys to tell them they could go up to the, uh, the I think, the Owl, Owl Ridge Mountains, they're called. But they couldn't stay here and they killed his messenger and sent his wife back as a, to tell the story. And this led to a, to a, a massive war, a four-day war between the, the, the Eastern Shoshone under Washaki and the, this, this um, Crow Band under Chief Big Robber, which is a good name. Okay. And in order to, you know, it was, a, it was a complete bloodbath, and in order to bring it to a close, uh, Washaki challenged Big Robber to a duel atop this flat uh, boot. Nice. To, um, yeah, like really sort of man against man, chief against chief. On the and, top of a mountain. Yeah. And wow. uh, where no one could interfere. And as they rode there, he threatened that he was going to uh, eat his heart. Um, oh. Remember the name of the, the, the hill? The crow heart uh, butt. Crow heart butt. Okay. So uh, in the end, he, uh, he won and put the crow chief's heart on a spear instead oh of the God. traditional scalping to prove he'd bested him and uh, displayed this at the subsequent war dance out of respect for his opponent's bravery um, wow. and may have eaten it. There's always a bit of cannibalism <laughs> in our episodes, so he oh. may have eaten it. That's disputed. Oh. Um, c- right. c- can, I, can I chime in one or two bits and pieces here? Uh, also from around this, this time, not, not so much the, the, the Native American side, just uh, still a little bit the kind of colonial frontier thing. And as you mentioned, cannibalism... Uh, the well, well, just that the the Oregon Trail was also where the it has Donner to be in pa- almost every episode. Yeah, the, the old Donner Party. Uh, the oh, great! Famously, great, yeah. Uh, yeah, they had they had to eat each other. Essentially, that's I'm not just mention that bit of cannibalism, but I also want to mention uh, Polly Bartlett uh, in terms of like old timey horrors. Uh, Polly Bartlett in 1869, she was uh, essentially an innkeeper along with her father, um, but she poisoned people uh, with arsenic-laced steaks after liquoring them up with whiskey. And she she did this with the help of her father and picked off over 20 men in about a year. Um, they, they were this like, is in oh, Wyoming? This is in Wyoming, yeah. So wow. it was South, South Pass. They, they, they found it an inn there. They were already kind of on the run. And I, I think I've heard, maybe, maybe it was a, a different podcast, My Favorite Murder, about this or, yeah, I don't know. Um, but... I think they were on the run and there was some kind of wondering about whether she really was his daughter, whether they were just kind of like, you know, former lovers or they just kind of scumbags, really. Like, they were just like two people. Um, But older guy, younger girl. And they set up an inn in South Pass. It was a really high traffic area because you had people, you know, going from east to west. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there there was a lot of random people passing through and, you know, who, who would miss some old dead person from 140 years ago? So one of the people that they almost got was a guy called Ed Ford. Uh, he narrowly missed being killed uh, due to having an alcohol allergy. So they couldn't get him <laughs> boozed up. And he was like, literally, like, I literally can't drink that. I will, I will friggin' die. And they're like, no, no, just like, I have a bit. And I'm like, no, no, you're not, you're not hearing me. Um, and then eventually things got weird and he had to actually leg it. He had to run away. He had been searching for his brother who had gone missing in the area, actually. Um, um, yes, oh, no. Ex- exactly. And uh, their final victim was a guy called Barney Fountain, who great name, fa- it's a pretty good name, yeah. Who, whose father was Bernard Fountain and was really wealthy, a big mining business guy. And who, after his son went missing, he dispatched people to go and look for him. 
Um, so the detectives had a $13,000 reward out for Bartlett. Uh, and apparently somebody rocked up at the inn. Like, hey, this Bartlett guy, ever, ever, ever heard of him? Uh, eventually, it was it was actually Ed Ford, who I just mentioned, who he was the one who actually shot and killed the father. And he uh, brought Pal- Polly back for her hanging. But as with Joseph Smith, prisons weren't very secure back in those days. So uh, a man called Otto Kalkhorst uh, put his shotgun in through the bars of the prison and blew her away. Right. He was ne- he was never tried for the murder. Uh, and he was a foreman at one of the mines owned by Bernard Fountain. So obviously the dad paid him a few shekels to go over and blast, blast your one away. Uh, they dug up 22 bodies oh. from the Bartlett's like uh, barn, uh, making her f- potentially the most uh, uh, killiest person in Wyoming's history. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, should we take a break? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Let's take a break. Okay, so by the 1850s, uh, as we've mentioned, the Oregon Trail uh, was in widespread use. Over 350,000 emigrants had passed through Wyoming in uh, the years between 1840 and 1859. So it's it's very much like a transitory state. They're not picking up a lot of uh, permanent residents in this time, but a lot, a lot of people are passing through this area. And what what had been happening with all these people, uh, these uh, travelers passing through the areas, there had been more and more incursions into what had previously been uh, Native American or Indian territory, uh, causing more and more conflicts between travelers and uh, American Indians. So there's people, you know, suddenly hundreds of people, thousands of people crossing across your, your backyard. You're not going to be super happy about it. In April of 1861, as a side note, the American Civil War broke out and... This will become relevant slightly later because um, as conflicts begin to escalate between uh, Native Americans and the uh, American settlers, uh, there's not as many troops, uh, federal troops, to go around to help out uh, in, in these conflicts. So, And then in, uh, in 1862, just a year after the Civil War breaks out, there's gold discovered in Montana. Gold! I was, I was waiting for you to do that, Mark. Gold! That's, uh, yeah, that's, gold that's how it goes. So everybody picks up uh, a shovel and starts heading out west uh, towards towards Wyoming and into Montana. This meant that even now, uh, even instead of traveling south or west uh, through Wyoming, people were now moving sort of slightly more north towards mm-hmm. Montana, whereas they had previously been going towards San Francisco. Now they were now they're heading towards new uh, new gold gold rushes and therefore uh, crossing even more of the state than they had been before. Yeah. So local tribes in the area had previously been uh, granted the use by uh, federal agencies uh, in an area called the Powder River in the middle of the state about 15 years before this point. This is uh, the Crow, I think, were, were given that territory. I think in so, a treaty yeah. that would, of course, be broken many times. Yeah. And settlers then started moving through the area in the mid-1960s, or sorry, mid-1860s. <laughs> The trail that they blazed through there was known as the Bozeman Trail, mm-hmm. 
This was the shortest and easiest route from Fort Laramie uh, and the Oregon Trail to the Montana Goldfields. And much of it has, had actually been opened by Jim Bridger, who we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Bozeman himself, who the name was or who the trail was named after, was a frontiersman from Georgia. Uh, he had a little bit of an interesting backstory. He, uh, I think in a previous episode, Mark, you mentioned like people uh, pick up a shovel and, and head to the to the gold fields with like oh, no yeah. shirt and nothing on their back. Uh, he was one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> He was one of those guys uh, who chased uh, gold throughout Colorado and Montana. But later he wised up and decided to, quote unquote, uh, in his words, mine the miners. That's where the money uh, is. And set up. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I think, again, you mentioned in a previous episode, Mark, that the, the people, it was a quote from someone that said the people, the, the main people that get rich during a, during a gold rush are the people that are selling shovels. Yep. And so he decided to become essentially a shovel salesman uh, and nice. set up a bunch of trading posts along the trail that would later bear his name. Well played. Yeah. So the Bozeman Trail ran through a bunch of native hunting grounds and oh, no. its establishment, yeah, its establishment would later cost the lives of uh, plenty of Native Americans and of settlers as well. Bozeman himself would actually uh, meet his end in a Indian ambush, although there's conflicting reports uh basically he was he was uh hunting with a friend of his and then was mysteriously uh shot and killed and his partner who was uh, hunting with him wasn't uh, reported that he was ambushed by indians but uh-huh. that for some reason oh. they spared him oh, yeah no. <laughs> yeah so uh no way really to know but uh it does sound sort of suspect so in the spring of 1864, uh, some Native Americans had been accused of stealing livestock from the Colorado Volunteers, who were Civil War soldiers who were stationed in Wyoming, under the command of a lovely chap called Colonel John Milton Chivington. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, this guy is a, is a real charm. He, sound, he sounds uh, English. Yeah. Yeah. As a reprisal, the volunteers traveled to native camps, and the, so the the chiefs, the Cheyenne chiefs, uh, came out to greet them. Were apparently quite friendly, and uh, Chivington and his men decided to shoot them just right, you know, right off the bat. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, that's the bit like, you don't hey see guys, in the westerns. You know what do you want? And uh, you know how can we help you? And then they just get shot in the face. I have a, I have a quote here from Chivington, which will you know add a bit of. Uh, color to his his background he said uh at one point damn any man who sympathizes with the indians i have come to kill indians and i believe it is right and honorable to use any means under god's heaven to kill indians kill and scalp all big and um, little stop stop right. yeah i feel like god, he would have stop. said I, I feel like he would have pronounced it injun i just uh yeah possibly. i feel that like that would have been his vibe yeah that is so forthright yep yeah. It, I mean, he's 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 putting his, his position out there. I'll he's, say he's, this about like 19th century racism: is you, you knew what you were getting. Oh yeah. my! Oh yes! Like there's no sugarcoating on this guy. You, you didn't if he because saying yeah, you, there, there were no dog whistles. There were just um, yeah, you know, war bugles. <laughs> just whistles, yeah. Um, right. Uh, they stood their ground because they didn't want to leave their uh, their homeland, but they they started flying white flags. Uh, essentially saying we don't want violence but we do uh, want to stay here that would really piss uh, Chivington off yeah Chivington took command of 250 men from the 1st Colorado Cavalry and possibly up to 12 men from the 1st Regiment of the New Mexico Volunteer Infantry and headed for uh, the encampment they indiscriminately killed men, women and children uh, shooting down anyone who attempted to flee 
they scalped uh, Indians. The, num the number that they killed has been disputed over time. And Chivington apparently himself, I don't know if he's bragging or what, later claimed before a cr congressional committee investigation into this incident, claimed that he his men killed up to 600 that day. But uh, modern historians say figures closer to 150. And this incident is what would later be known as the Sand Creek Massacre. It's somewhat relieving uh, that there a, was a congressional investigation, but I mm, presume it didn't punish him in any Yeah, way. I don't think it did, as far as I know. So I've got a quote here from Kit Carson, who we mentioned earlier, uh, who said of this this massacre is uh, just to think of that dog Chivington and his dirty hounds up there at Sand Creek. His, his men shot down squaws and blew the brains out of, out of little innocent children. You call such soldiers Christians, do you? And Indian savages, what do you suppose our Heavenly Father who made uh, them and us thinks of these things? I'll tell you what, I don't like a hostile redskin army any more than you do. And when they are hostile, I've fought them as hard as any man, but I never yet drew bead on a squaw or a papoose, which I assume is a, uh, a child? male. Uh, I'm not sure, maybe child, yeah. Uh, but he said, I never, never yet uh, drew bead on either and despised the man who would. So... That that just shows you, like the you know, uh, this wasn't a, a universal attitude, you know. This this uh, no, this well, as I said with Bridger uh, earlier, like a lot of the mountain men, you know, had a lot of respect for the the natives, well, right? Th they, they wanted they, to learn you know, the territory, and these guys knew the territory. They, you know, yeah, they learned the languages. Yeah. They married into the communities. They, you know, it's um, it's different I, I just, to murdering everyone. I just googled mm. papoose, and uh, the first entry was a rapper. From the '90s, uh, which is uh, Shamele Mackey, his um, his first songs were "Thug Connection" and "Alphabetical Slaughter," released on Cool G Rap's "Roots of Evil." And uh, that's uh, it's good that Kit Carson right. never uh, never tried to shoot him. That's uh, that was, that was kind of Native American child. Yes, that is that is the term. That's that's right, the second. Okay. So, in response to the escalating violence, the U.S. Uh, U.S. Army ordered the what was called the Powder River Expedition in 1865, and the aim of this expedition was to bring the Indian tribes in Wyoming and the surrounding area under control. To stop them, to stop them getting murdered by, by soldiers, or like what kind of control are we talking about? Yeah, they're out of control. Uh, they just won't won't not be murdered. <laughs> they keep yeah. getting murdered. For maybe stealing one of them, maybe it's irresponsible. They just want them to fall in line. Yeah. So, yeah. Just straighten uh, up and fly right. Native Americans. Yeah. So although uh, the soldiers destroyed a couple of native villages and established a new fort called Fort Connor to protect travelers do. on the Bozeman Trail, this expedition failed in its in its quest to bring the natives under control. Good. They Instead, the local tribes won out and became even more determined to stop the Americans using the Bozeman Trail. And this conflict then escalated into what later will become known as Red Clouds War. Red Cloud was a high-ranking Indian chief. He seems pretty uh, cool, so actually. He does, and he's got a really cool name. So, yeah, there were two sides involved in this war. The U.S. side, uh, who were allied with the Crow Indians, who I assume were, were vying for control of this uh, these hunting grounds. Yeah. And then on yeah. the other they'd side, given you have... The, um, yeah. They've been given the grounds yeah. by a treaty. Sure. So they wanted to reestablish their, their control over these hunting grounds. I assume, and then the Lakota, Northern Cheyenne, and Northern Arapaho tribes 
uh, were allied together against the Crow and the U.S. Mm-hmm. This war was fought over territory known as the Powder River, which is still, you know, uh, an important part of Wyoming today. I believe it's mostly coal mines today. But, uh, yeah, at the time it was a rich hunting ground. It was, uh, you know, full of buffalo and other game. And the, no- the Lakota Sioux had recently seized control of these lands. And this is why the, the Crow Indians were, you know, were on the U.S. side and trying to get their, their hunting grounds back. In 1866, the government called all the tribes together, hoping to establish a treaty. However, at the same time, they, they sent uh, Colonel B. Carrington, Henry B. Carrington, into the Powder River Basin at the head of 700 troops who began to establish forts. So, you know, essentially on one side you have a calling a treaty yeah. and on the other side you have, you know, sending troops into the field. Red Cloud, who was no idiot, decided to call off the meeting and withdrew to plan his next move. So then the following year, or the end of that year, in uh, December of 1866, uh, a band of Indian warriors led by Red Cloud lured uh, Captain W.J. Fetterman over a rise near Fort Phil Kearney and into a trap. And within half an hour, Fetterman and all 80 of his men were dead. They were stripped, uh, stripped and scalped by the Indians. And it was the worst military defeat suffered by U.S. forces on the Great Plains until the famous Battle of Little Bighorn uh, a decade later, which we won't get into now. But That was in uh, South Dakota. A, I think some yeah. of the same... I think Red Cloud may have been involved in in that war as well. Definitely definitely his, his fellow chief, Crazy Horse, was... Mm. I think. So yeah, this was this was seen as a, a pretty humiliating blow to the U.S., like losing eighty men in in one fell swoop, you know, and in, mm-hmm. in the midst of the civil war as well. So uh, the army then began to plan a larger expedition into the Powder River area, and at this time, I'll, I'll kind of get more into them later. But the Union Pacific were in the area, uh, uh, building yes. what what would become the Transcontinental Railroad. And they were uh, fearful of attack by Indians because of all this violence that was happening around them. And similarly, settlers who were uh, moving to the Montana gold fields were also exerting pressure on the on the government to to get you know to afford them some protection from these these tribes. In 1867, there was a second major battle with the Americans winning out over the Indians, but most of the fighting in Red Cloud's War, apart from these two battles, were uh, limited. It was limited to skirmishes and sort of, you know, small raids and not huge amounts of people um, killed. Like the the definitive battle, I think, was um, uh, the, the one I mentioned fight. earlier, uh, Fetterman battle. Yeah, Fetterman fight. That's the, that's what it later uh, became known as. In 1868, the U.S. were forced to sign a treaty, the Treaty of Fort Laramie, which uh, gave the Indian tribes in the area control of the western Powder River Basin. They had to take down the forts and close down the Bozeman Trail. So that was a win for uh, the Indians mm-hmm. and also a loss for the Crow Indians who later, you know, would, would come not to trust the the U.S. because they, they you know, allied with the U.S. forces and then, then uh, lost eventually had been forced to and lost their land and had been forced to, to sign a treaty uh, ceding land to rival tribes. So. Mm. And I think Red Cloud transitioned into the role of being sort of a peacemaker from here on after this win. Mm. So he, he was frequently in Washington uh, representing his people and so on. Oh. Yeah. So the year after, in uh, 1869, uh, Wyoming becomes an official U.S. territory and is on its way to becoming a state. Mm. So the new territory, yeah, as uh, I think as we mentioned earlier, Mark had been 
you know, governed by a bunch of different powers in, throughout its past. Uh, so Louisiana Purchase would have been France and then uh, Oregon Session and uh, parts of so- southwestern Wyoming had previously been controlled by Mexico. Yep. Uh, and before that, Spain. So, uh, yeah, this is this is a territory like this. Um, what becomes now the Wyoming Territory had been carved out of a bunch of different pieces of land. And I, I think it kind of shows like it was kind of an arbitrary border drawing process. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as and we of mentioned, course it's, it's rectangular. The, so it's the not, Native it's Americans not kind of natural boundaries. Didn't really do territorial barriers. They had yeah. areas that would be this is our winter hunting ground and so on. But exclusive ownership of land is a is a new construct in the area. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so is this a good time to, to talk about the yellow about Yellowstone? Yeah, that that, that wouldn't wouldn't be bad. Yeah. We'll, we'll get away from uh, because people being we're killed more or less at the point when it was declared the first yeah. uh, the first national park in the world. So yeah. just to roll back a tiny bit, like as you mentioned earlier, some of the first mountain men in the area told stories about this and weren't believed. Um, obviously, there have been indigenous people passing through Yellow, what is now the Yellowstone National Park for thousands and thousands of years, mining the obsidian. But in more recent times, Native Americans tended to avoid the area, believing it was the domain of infernal spirits who did not like humans, according to the Lewis and Clark mm. expeditions. To chats with I mean, them. it does make sense. It, it would. It, I mean, if you're, uh, what do you call uh, animistic? Yeah, yeah. If, uh, yeah. Religion, if, like if you the earth in the is screaming at things, you, then, yeah, the uh, earth is like, you know, yeah, like shooting water out and uh, bubbling and and burning. Then you know you're gonna you're gonna think that it's not too happy that you're around. I guess. Yeah, it's not yeah. unreasonable. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Washburn expedi- expedition out of Montana. Um, was really supportive of protecting this place. So they, they finally were around to mapping it around the 18, about 1870. And their conclusion backed up what Thomas Francis Meir, their temporary governor, had also suggested that this special, unique uh, place deserved protection. We, we, we mentioned Meir in, in our Tasmania episode. He had been a, an Irish political convict who escaped and ended up as governor of Montana. So, somewhat to thank for wow. for the federal protection of uh, Yellowstone, bizarrely. So, from the 1860s to the 1880s, Indians were driven out of these lands by the U.S. In fact, the U.S. Army would kill the bison herds to try and rid the area of the, quote, oh Indian God. problem. Really? Yeah, that's the thing. Ah, oh, I didn't know that. I knew the bison were, were hunted to almost extinction from, like, millions yeah. and millions down to, like, a few hundred thousand. Some of that was today, intentional, but... some of that was... You, know, oh, you can't geez. hunt a species to extinction without horses. You can with horses, but also with guns, you can just kill them all. That's yep. like the poisoning of the water holes in Namibia. Yeah, that's yeah, like it's just that kind of oh, thing. God. Um, geologically, this place is the result of some um, massive super eruptions over the last two million years. Basically, um, each of these super eruptions created what's called a caldera just kind of a depression left behind after all of the land on top of it is blown off. Uh, and wow. the Yellowstone caldera is about 55 by 72 kilometers. So wow. there's, yeah, that's the kind of range over which the features are and there's kind of hot magma nearer the surface here than elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll put a couple of notes in the, in the show, like a couple of pictures in the show notes, mm. but mm-hmm. like if you've never 
if for some reason you've never done this like looked up pictures of of yellowstone like you yeah. really should do it it's if you're listening on your phone right now or whatever just go just to google images and look for yellowstone because it's it's one of the most bizarre slash beautiful looking places i think i've ever seen in my yeah. life it's it so apparently it's really half of all the thermal features in the world are here like at least ten thousand thermal features so hot springs mm. mud pots and geysers famously so old Isn't faithful, old, old faithful? Is, yeah, the, yeah. is the old most faithful, famous yeah. geezer um and I, I think call that because it's reasonably regular. So it, it yeah. erupts either every 65 or 91 minutes. It's kind of got two, there's a bimodal distribution. So it can either be 65 or 91 minutes between eruptions. And the length between eruptions depends on the length of the previous eruption. Uh, I uh, saw a geyser, not in Yellowstone, but in, in uh, Iceland. Mm. And it's, uh, it's a very cool thing because uh, you can like... You can get quite close to maybe not. I think people have actually died in Yellowstone from from the geyser. Oh, been, sure. Like they've yeah. fallen in and stuff because the, the water is essentially boiling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely there's a story here that I was reading about um, a guy from Oregon who last year died and quote yeah. unquote dissolved in a in oh a my pool god in Yellowstone. Oh yeah. Jesus! <laughs> yeah, That's... it's it's oh, it's no. terrifying. There's there's been a <laughs> there's been a few stories like that um, oh, in the past. Like, I think I read one before about, like, a guy who, like, followed his dog into one of these pools or something, and then, like, he was just decimated. Like, there's no... You've got no chance, basically, if, yeah. you, if you fall in one of these pools. So, so be it's, careful. Yes. But in 1872, President Ulysses S. Grant declared it a national park, making it the first national park in the world in order to protect it. From the 1880s onwards, all animals were protected from poachers, except for wolves and coyotes. Um... But tourism did have an impact on, on some of the animals. For instance, the bears became very dependent on campsite trash cans. Uh, and feeding of tame black bears was popular with tourists. Um, oh, no. Oh, up until no. the 40s. But, for instance, between 1931 and 1939, 527 injuries occurred during this practice. Yeah. That's not surprising at all. Yeah. That's, that's there's, a very there's cool photos, statistic. though, of them having picnics. With you don't want to be feeding black rangers. bears from yeah. your hand. Like, that's, but this, this, yeah. is, this is Yogi Bear territory. Yeah, it's exactly Yogi thing. Bear. Yeah. Jellystone, right? Stay away from our picnic basket. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, now they, they've kind of trained the bears back into being wild properly. Uh, and in 2011, some wolves were reintroduced after a 40-year absence. And the bison herds there are now to about 3,000. So nice. it's it sounds beautiful and wonderful and a good wildlife preserve and so on, but you know from Native American point of view, they got screwed. We we we, we broke it. We broke uh, it. Okay, should we take a quick break sure. here? Uh, another one, and then uh, we'll 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 move on. Through picturesque North Gate, we enter Yellowstone National Park one of America's most beautiful and phenomenal wilderness areas. Located in northwestern Wyoming, the Yellowstone region was set aside by an act of Congress in 1872. Since that time, millions of visitors have enjoyed its scenic wonders. In this unique wonderland, there are countless hot springs of all sizes and shapes. All are distinctly beautiful. Since the beginning of time, nature has carried on the never-ending creation of fantastic wonders in Yellowstone National Park. 
Um, okay, so jumping back slightly, I mean, we, we, we've covered Yellowstone, but jumping back very slightly to the 1870s. Um, and there's a lot happening in around this time in Wyoming. Like the, uh, we were discussing before the episode, like there's a, there's a, there's a dense period of history sort of in the 1800s and then, yeah. and then not a it. whole lot else before <laughs> Uniquely after. dense. Yeah. So we'll jump back to the 1870s again, and I to to kind of make it a little bit easier, I've kind of broken it down uh, a little bit of the next sort of 20 to 30 years um, into three notable areas uh, about the history of Wyoming that are kind of all coalescing at this time. Uh, the first one is uh, women's suffrage. I mentioned at the top of the episode that uh, Wyoming has uh, uh, the nickname the Equality State, and that's not for nothing. Uh, it has historically been a very forward-thinking place in terms of women's rights. When the uh, Wyoming Territory was established in uh, 1868, just a year later, they granted women the right to vote, wow. which was the first territory in the U.S. to do so, and that's, that's the first territory that would eventually become a state to do so. That's like 40 did their, years did their brains, before anywhere else? Did their brains hmm? melt as the doctors said they would? No, they didn't. Oh, my uh, God. So, I mean... And Hell of a thing. It, but it weirdly had a, a kind of a, a icky history oh, because, no. uh, yeah, it's not as great as it sounds, although it is great. Uh, essentially, the reason that this was pushed for is because in the wake of the Civil War, uh, oh, black people were given the, the right to vote. Yes. So uh, the, essentially, the resolution to the, to the Civil War was uh, black people are allowed to vote now and you can't stop them. That is what the Constitution says. And there's one guy called uh, William Bright, who was like one of the main proponents behind this, uh, you know, the, the women's suffrage movement. And he had opted to fight with the Union in the war, but he was a uh, very much opposed to black people being allowed to vote, even though he had fought on the Union side. Okay. And so he, he and his fellow Democrats at the time wanted a way to both generate positive PR mm-hmm. and also to make sure that there was equality for all, uh, white people. you know, all people in white the States white. and all, all white people, essentially. So uh, he was you one of the main forget the Democrats were racist in the past. That yeah. Kind of thing yeah. To, to like Kennedy. Yep. So yeah. that was uh, that was his whole bag. And. Yeah, he, he was one of the main people that pushed that resolution through. So uh, Wyoming in 1869 became the first uh, territory in the States where um, women could vote. And it wasn't for 100% great reasons, but, it, you know, it's... It's uh, it's something. You know, yeah. it was a good thing. it up as a win. So, <laughs> yeah, chalk it up as a win. Well, I, I will say... The state's motto is just equal rights, which I think is... Which a, is great. I think it's a crap motto. Okay. I mean, it's not a motto. You know, a motto it's is two words. equality binds us closer to the gods. That's a motto, you know. Or, uh, you know, there is no freedom without equality. That's a motto. Just equal rights uh, is, a, is a thing. Let, let, let's sign a treaty with these Native Americans and then scalp, scalp all their kids. That, that could be the motto. of. It's like your motto being yeah. a solid tax base, you know, or... or... What is, uh, isn't New Hampshire um, live free or die? That's a motto. That's New Hampshire. Is that a motto? Okay. But I mean, like, I mean, that is... It's a commandment. <laughs> yeah, motto should be sort of a... You know. It's aspirational. Yeah. It's, it it but does it's, have it's, elements yeah. of a motto. Fine. 
I'm not. I'm not. I'm, anyway. not, I'm not debating with the with the the goal. It's the sentiment. Just, it, it, yeah. I think it, it, it's It's more that it should be a full sentence. Yeah. Or, or let's let's sentence. have some equal rights. Uh, equal yeah. rights? Uh, question Are mark. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, boats. Okay. The second, yeah, the second the my, of my three the things are uh, railroads, yeah, and uh, Union Pacific at this time uh, plays a huge role in the history of Wyoming. So Lincoln signed the Pacific Railway Act on the 1st of July, 1862, and this was uh, the goal essentially of this act was to was to create a railway that would cross the U.S. And there was some debate about whether they should take a northern route uh, or a southern route. And Southern Route would, would obviously go through a lot of the southern states and territories. And then the outbreak of the Civil War uh, decided the issue. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it was Northern Route it was. That's kind of interesting how different um, that could have made everything. Yeah. Yeah. So the Union Pacific first came to Wyoming in 1867 and exerted, from, from the beginning, exerted a tremendous amount of influence on the government. It was the Union Pacific that was the driving force, as I mentioned before, uh, one of the driving forces behind the pacification of the Indian tribes in the area and later the development of the uh, coal industry, ah, which is what course. I'm going to talk about next. So the arrival of the railroad uh, caused a population spike, particularly because the Union Pacific marketed the territory to settlers. So mm-hmm. they bought up huge tracts of land on which to build the railroad and then um, marketed those those tracts of land to potential settlers and said oh come buy our land and wow. you know there's going to be a rail- railroad right here like you know next to your house so and Cheyenne was a was a terminus town for quite a yeah. while wasn't it so it, it kind of was the end of the line which made it easy to get to yeah so a lot of a lot of people would would attribute like the 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 kind of founding of Cheyenne or the 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 big build up of the mm-hmm. of that city to the Union yeah. Pacific and and the arrival of the railroad um so in 1869, then, uh, on the May 10th, that was when the, the railroad, Transcontinental Railroad, was completed, and a crowd gathered in Promontory Summit, Utah Territory, to celebrate the, the completion of the world's first transcontinental railroad. Cool. And Wyoming's first governor, upon his inauguration, said, for the first time in the history of our country, the organization of a territorial government was rendered necessary by the building of a railroad. Heretofore, the railroad has been the follower instead of the pioneer of civilization. So that'll tell you kind of all you need to know about, mm. um, you know, how... So he's like, our state exists because influence. trains. Yes, mm. because of trains. That's why we're here. Mm. So, yeah, in, in a lot of ways, it can be said that the territory was built on, uh, not on, but because of the railway. Uh, and Chinese immigrants were a big part of this. Uh, they had first come to, uh, I believe, California mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, help out with the gold rush there. And then they slowly migrated northwards and inwards, like away from the coasts, and picked up, you know, jobs here and there. And that building the railways was a big, a big part of their uh, history in the U.S. It's it's also um, important to mention what was happening in China at the time, as in the Opium Wars and yeah, China as yeah. an institution like sliding into shit. Yeah, which we have covered in our episodes on uh, Kowloon Walled City, I guess, mm-hmm. and also yeah. our Minnesota and Hong Kong. So. And then the third uh, element of uh, Wyoming history that's important to note here is coal. So again, in 1868, the Union Pacific uh, opened the first coal mine in a place that would later be called Carbon Country, Carbon County. Sorry, yeah, and uh, I believe there's a town there now called Carbon, where yeah. one of the first mines was opened. So the first mines were owned and operated by the creatively named Wyoming Coal and Mining Company. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, he he dreams to be a writer, the guy. But uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, they lease the land from, of course, the railroad. So all the money eventually would flow back into Union Pacific. They later then took over the management of the mines, increasing their influence and creating a, a monopoly on the coal industry in Wyoming. Throughout the 1880s and 90s, then uh, Union Pacific would essentially uh, mine a place to extinction and then <laughs> move up all, like take up all of its residents and all of its workers and move them to another place and then start mining oh, there. Ah, uh, so locust-like. Yes, thousands Ooh. of people. It would just it would just up and move to the next uh, the next mining site. Workers were forced to endure hellish conditions, and I don't think that's an exaggeration on very low wages and were often killed or maimed in the process. Great. Uh, and again, a lot, like a lot of them increasingly were from China, were immigrants who people didn't really, you know, care too much about. Uh, Throughout the 1870s then, um, American workers began to resent the Chinese who were seen as, you know, immigrants who were taking our gerbs. Uh, it's good that things so, have changed. <laughs> yeah. So there were violent confrontations between Chinese and American workers in Arizona, California, Nevada. In the 1870s, the UP or Union Pacific began to find itself in financial trouble and, of course, did what uh, what any big corporation is, is want to do when it is in financial trouble and cuts people's wages. Strikes then followed, and instead of sympathizing with the strikers or negotiating with them, uh, Union Pacific just fired them and brought in more Chinese people. In 1875, then, uh, workers at the Rock Springs mine, which was one of uh, the biggest mines in Wyoming at the time, were replaced by Chinese miners who would eventually outnumber uh, the white miners two to one. Uh, and the groups in this mine lived completely separately, didn't communicate, like they didn't live together, they didn't speak one another's language. So they were very much different people. And that uh, has been cited in... Like in retrospect, it's one of the reasons why what is going to happen happened um, because the white miners were very much able to to look at these Chinese workers as subhuman, essentially, or, or mm -hmm. very different to them because they had no exposure to their culture or no communication, no shared you know bonds at all. Yeah. Right. So so on the morning morning of September second, eighteen eighty five. A fight broke out of this mine between white workers and Chinese miners, uh, and one Chinese miner was killed. And instead of going home, the, the fight was broken up broken up by uh, the supervisors. But instead of going home, white workers went back together, ba back to their houses to gather weapons. And then a mob of 100 to 150 armed men convened in the town that afternoon and surrounded the area where the Chinese people lived. They then closed in and indiscriminately murdered 28 of their Chinese co-workers. Oh my god wounded 15 others and torched 79 homes in Rock Springs and then had the temerity to confront the company bosses and told them to leave Rock Springs on the next train, which they did. Wow. This incident would later be known as the Rock Springs Massacre and is, uh, you know, still has implications uh, on Wyoming's history today. But um, yeah, it was, was a really, really awful thing that happened yeah. in, in this in this mining town i have here that the the sheer brutality of the violence startled the entire country and there were like a lot of news reports about this uh besides those who were burned alive in their own homes oh chinese miners were also scalped mutilated branded decapitated dismembered and hanged so that, that's that's everything isn't it yep yep Bar that's like pretty much all the things that you, you can do use. yeah 
So uh, the governor at the time of the territory of Wyoming, a guy called Francis E. Warren, requested that federal troops come to, you know, sort this, sort out this uh, this mob. After a week of negotiations, during which the the remaining Chinese workers essentially just you know begged to be put on trains and allowed to leave. Yes. The Union Pacific declared that any miner not back at work by Monday morning would be fired and never hired again anywhere on the Union Pacific line, anywhere in the country. Uh, so the miners returned to work as the Union Pacific had wanted. And Warren, the governor, was eventually uh, hailed by the Union Pacific for the strength and sort of determination that he showed during the incident. And later, like, was, you know, kind of backed by the company, which was, you know, great for well, his career. Well done. Yeah. Yep. Good job. Uh, None of the perpetrators were ever convicted. Of course. Oh, thank you. For any of the attacks, and yeah, this is this is sort of a a stain on uh, the history of the of the state. Uh, as I've said, even to this day, it's it was one of the first, I believe, what what would be later called race riots uh, in the U.S. or uh, you know, um, in the modern you know modern sense of the word, hmm. and. Uh, in 1888, then, residents began to uh, petition the government for statehood. And although those calls were rejected, and believe it or not, one of the reasons that they were rejected was because of the fact that women were allowed to vote no, in I Wyoming. That, was but... one of the reasons why uh, oh, they, they debated as to whether or not they should uh, admit them as a state. Also, I think the bigger barrier was the fact that it was a very low population. Mm -hmm. So the population, minimum population for a state at the time was around 60,000. And Wyoming, you know, had maybe 61,000 or something that, right. like officially, which uh, some of which were, you know, temporary residents. Um, but the uh, the residents uh, like their their initial calls for statehood were rejected, but they just ignored the fact that they'd been rejected <laughs> and just continued on to draw up a state constitution. Um, and Walmart. there was a couple of interesting points to note about this constitution, which was uh, drawn up and approved in 1889. One was the the decision as to where the state capital would be. And uh, one promoter from uh, southern Wyoming wanted to establish a, a geographic capital at the center of the state, like the geographic oh, center of the, of the state, along a place called Muskrat Creek. And he he proposed calling this new city Muskrat. Nice. Which uh, was... Uh, <laughs> Reminded me kind of of our our, um, our conversation from Georgia about Bagrat. Mm. Just like, oh, yes. uh, you Bagrat. know, you, generally you don't want, um, you know, the term rat to be in, the in yeah. you know, Especially in either your name or the name of your, your capital city. Yeah, which it does. <laughs> it makes it worse. So, yeah. So, needless to say, his proposal gained uh, very little support. But mm -hmm. interestingly, they couldn't decide. They, I think it needed 60% of the vote or something from all the delegates to decide where the permanent capital would be. Right. But instead, uh, Cheyenne got 51% of the vote or something like that, or, you know, 50 right. plus one or something like that. Uh, just a bare majority. So it was designated as the temporary capital of the state, and it still holds that title today. So technically, oh. Wyoming does not have a permanent capital, even though Cheyenne has been the capital ever since right. the state was was founded. It it still is technically by you know on the constitution is 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 uh, termed the temporary capital. Hmm. The population um, of Muskrat are still fighting for that. Uh, official yeah, recognition. yeah. Also, Chinese labor uh, came into the drawing up of the constitution. Again, uh, the foreign I'm labor. I'm really uh, worried. 
foreign labor was banned on all public works projects. So the wording goes, That's great. no person not a citizen of the United States or who has not declared his intention to become such shall be employed upon or in connection with any state, county or municipal works or employment. So, and the next you know, paragraph, the state motto shall be equal rights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the following year, then, in 1890, President Benjamin Harrison signed the statehood bill, which made Wyoming the 44th state in the United States. Uh, and we did it, guys. We did Francis it. E. Warren, the guy who had presided over the Rock Springs massacre, uh, became its first governor. Yay. And at the time, it had a population of around 60,000. No awful deed goes unrewarded. Yeah. The name of Wyoming um, be, comes from the uh, Delaware Indian language, of meaning course. large plains or mountains and, and valleys alternating. Yeah. yeah. And was named after uh, a valley in, is it Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania, yeah. There was an Something important like battle yeah. in yeah. the War of Independence. Yeah. And I don't like why it's bizarre yeah. to me that you would call it that. Yeah. There's no yeah. good reason. But that is uh, that is where the name came, comes from. So, um, yeah, it j- just the thing that is important says pretty much everything you think of when you think of the Wild West happens in Wyoming. Oh, and yes. you've heard about Indian mm-hmm. Wars and Fort Soldiers and scalpings and teepees and, you know, pioneers with hang and All yeah. of this is made famous by one of Wyoming's most famous residence he wasn't wasn't from yeah, residence he wasn't born there no. No. Yeah. Uh, which is, is, is Bill Cody known as Buffalo Bill who uh, yeah he, he he served in Fort Laramie for a while in the Civil War as a child he was too young to enlist <laughs> um, so he was like a message runner and stuff and um, he, like he did a bit of stuff in and around Wyoming but it seems to me that mostly he just publicised the Wild West Mm. Yeah. Would that be fair? Like he 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 made this wild Wild West show that he toured. He made it, yeah. He made it a, a kind of a, uh, a, a, a theatrical kind of a thing, kind of like a circus, kind of, except yeah. with like yeah, almost a circus with yeah. prospectors and Native Americans. I think he wrote a book as well uh, that like just glamorized the idea, like our idea of cowboys, mm. essentially coming from his book and from his show. And then yeah. everybody else then had this, wow, this is how it used to be. He's like, well, no, it's just what he told you. It's some of how it used, used to, to be. be, but yeah, like, he, yeah, like, he, um, but like, you know, and like he would, they'd reenact up. like Indians raiding a, raiding a wagon on the Oregon Trail as part of the show and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But he was also very keen on, on the, like, Native Americans living as they would live around right. when, when they toured the show. He'd like, set up your teepees, have your family, eat food, you know. I want people to see you as people, not as scary monsters. And so he, he founded Cody, Wyoming, which is a, a reasonably large city by Wyoming standards today. Um, it's kind of an interesting uh, anecdote. I don't know if you're going to talk about it, Joe, but how he won his name. Oh, no, go on. I, I, that's all that? I've got on him. So, um, so yeah, he, he got the nickname Buffalo Bill after the Civil War um, mm-hmm. when he had a uh, he was con- he was one of the people that was contracted to supply uh, meat to the Kansas Pacific Railroad. Of course. And of course, the main source of meat was going to be buffalo meat because they were everywhere at the time. And so he is reported to have killed 4,282 uh, buffalo in 18 months in oh 1867, uh, between 1867 and 1868. And he and another hunter who was, you know, similarly contracted called Bill Comstock, they both wanted the name Buffalo Bill. They both went by the name Buffalo <laughs> oh, Bill, as far as I can tell. <laughs> 
and um, were essentially wanted to, uh, you know, w- figure out who was going to keep the name, who was going to be the, the the Buffalo Bill. So they decided to compete in an eight-hour Buffalo shooting match with the exclusive rights to win the name. And Cody won by killing 68 animals in eight hours to Comstock's 48. And he wow. became the that, Buffalo Bill. That's a lot of Buffalo. Uh, yeah, just thought that another was another famous group of people that again Wild Wild West standard stuff is um, the Hole in the Wall Gang who who lived up in this this hideaway in the in the Rockies. They were kind of a loose confederation of various criminal gangs and outlaws. And the most famous, um, the leader of the Wild Bunch was Butch Cassidy. Mm. And yep. his uh, his. Comrade Sundance Kid, named after Sundance, Wyoming. And well, yeah, they, I think they, he was arrested for stealing a horse in Sundance or something like that. I think as, so. As far, yeah. as I, as far as I know, yeah. Yeah, and they operated um, out of the hole in the wall, and they, they did lots of robberies, like a train robbery in Wilcox, Wyoming. They also did robberies all over Nevada and Utah and Colorado. They got around. But uh, yeah, they're, they're some of the more famous Wild West characters, and they're all turning up in Wyoming at some point in their lives. Can, yeah. I, can I give a list of some of the... So the, the Hole in the Wall gang was kind of like a loose confederation of actual gangs mm-hmm. that wasn't really a Hole in the Wall gang. They had just used this one pass to ambush people. Because it was a really good hideaway. Because it was a super, yeah, super good like ambush spot. And they, uh, I just want to read out some of the amazing, cool names of the people from, from that group. There was uh, Elsie Lay, Tall Texan, <laughs> News Carver, Camilla Deaf Charlie Hanks, uh, George Flatnose Curry... Harvey Kid Curry Logan, Laughing Sam Carey, Blackjack Ketchum, and also apparently maybe Jesse James, as well as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. All right. Um, but yeah, yes, Jesse so like may have gone new, there. News Carver loved hearing his name in the newspapers. That's, that's where he got his name. Oh, huh, cool. And Kid hmm. Kid Curly was kind of, he looked up to the other Curly. So he... Is it Kid Curly or Kid Curry? A Kid Curry, you're right. A Kid Curry. All right. Yeah, but... Just, just like Curry, he kind of adopted the name of his 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 criminal protege, his criminal mentor, which is yeah. just cute. So another interesting event was in eighteen ninety one uh, called the Johnson County War. I'm not going to go into much detail in this, but basically, mm. big cattle versus little cattle. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there had been huge cattle barons running most of Wyoming for a lot of the period up to the you know up to the eighteen eighties and so on. And um, then with the Homestead Act that encouraged people to go out and settle smaller homesteads out west, um, you had lots of small cattle holders coming into the territory and competition between them. I think at the same time as well, you had, um, like in the 1880s, you had like continually falling cattle prices, yeah, yeah, yeah. which sort of drove a lot of, a lot of the maybe medium-sized ranchers out of business. Mm-hmm. Right, and then uh, at least what I read was that a lot of ranchers who would have worked those uh, ranches, I suppose, uh, would set up their own cattle ranches because they didn't have anything. You know, you've been working on some, you know, big wigs ranch for twenty years, yeah, and okay. you don't know anything else. So what are you going to do? You know, you buy up a small portion of land and and start, you know, start cattle farming yourself. So. But th- this, um, yeah, this like is say, a reasonably a... ignominious event where basically the, the, the big mm. cattle people accuse some of the, the newer ranchers of... of Upstart um, cap- small cattle people. Small cattle people of, of rustling yeah. and so on. And they, they did some bizarre things. Like they put, put together a, they, they put together a small group to kind of try and assassinate a farmer called Nate Champion, which they failed to do. 
Okay. Um, because he was apparently a bit of a troublemaker. Uh, and later, something like um, what I read about this is that uh, they, they burst into his his bedroom, mm. you know, ordered him to surrender, and he yawned. <laughs> and as he was yawning, kind of stretched out his arms and reached under his pillow, <laughs> where he had a he had a revolver tucked under his pillow. And then, wow, I, I assume was a was a pretty good shot and took down at least a couple of these guys. So. Nicely played. Um, That's deadly. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. here to kill me. Ah. Uh. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so a bit later, they assembled a vigilante militia of, of cow barons and and I think some Texan, there were some Texans in there too, Texan mercenaries or something. It's all quite bizarre. And they, they rode into Johnson County with a list of 70 people they wanted to kill. Okay. Uh, but they were permanently delayed at the TA ranch where, where Champion was hiding. And they, they burnt down a barn to smoke him out and they, they shot him. So they did get him eventually. Um, the sheriff job, of, of Johnson County, Red Angus, like this is straight out Great of the name. movie. Yeah. He raised his own militia to, uh, or is it, is it a posse if you're a sheriff? Ooh, you deputize nice. a posse, is that mm. the terminology? Um, yeah. Uh, to, to fight off this invasion, as they called it. And yeah, 200 men led to a grueling standoff. And the siege ended when the U.S. cavalry arrived on the orders of President Benjamin Harrison to right. stop that happening because it's mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, basically like all the, all the big cattlemen were arrested but the the governor, the Republican Amos Barber was their friend and he led the questioning and the, the, the trials and no one was convicted. Um, Huzzah! There was big outrage and the Republicans Everyone were kicked out up. in the next election. Uh, yeah, so that that was uh, interesting, and brings us sort of into the twentieth century, I think. Ah, uh, the the emptieth century. Yep. Oh, you'll be glad to hear there's not much more. <laughs> we are very close to being finished. So, uh, with the twentieth century, there's there's I think like we've mentioned, there's not a huge amount that happened uh, of note in eighteen ninety. Like we mentioned, uh, the place becomes a state, and the population was around sixty thousand. And at that time, uh, 75% of the land in Wyoming was federally owned. Huh. That figure has actually only reduced to around 50% now. Yeah, it's still, so it's still pretty high. still a huge amount of land in Wyoming is owned Which by the state. Which is a source yeah, of tension so. because you can't, you know, mine the hell out of it. Yep. Uh, well. <laughs> as much. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. In 1904, brothers Howard, Alden, and Willis Eaton established the West First Dude Ranch. Uh, in Wyoming, which I don't know a huge amount about dude ranches. I'm not sure I want to, but... Um, Isn't it just where you go to pretend <laughs> you're a cowboy for a week? I think so, yeah, yeah. A lot so of fragrant kind of like oils and Buffalo uh, Bill massages. Camp. Yeah. Mm. In 1912, there was an oil boom in Salt Creek Field, north of Casper, and pipelines and refineries were constructed in the area. And in about six years, Casper had become a vital hub of business and finance in Wyoming, and actually led, uh, the state led oil production mm. in the world for a short time. Yeah, in the 1920s. Although not so much anymore. Yeah, and thanks to that and also the, the coal mining boom and also the railway, uh, by 1920, the, the population had reached uh, 200,000, whereas it had been uh, only 60,000, you know, 30 years earlier. So 
uh, big population boom in the early 1900s. So the oil boom led to something called the Teapot Dome Scandal, which was, mm. and it's sweet to think of it now, this was the biggest scandal in U.S. history at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was essentially a, a bribery and corruption scandal. Uh, the, a cabinet minister of Warren G. Harding's administration uh, basically allowed oil companies to drill on federal land. For uh, personal enrichment? Is that how he... Yeah, no, it's, well, they, they bribed right? him. They, they, yeah, they, they bribed him. They gave him a big, big old pile of money with you know the word swag on the side of the cloth bag that mm-hmm. held a lot of money. It was a very basic bribery case. Uh, pretty tame by today's standards, to be honest, in that like he was kind of allowing friends of his like undue influence. Yeah, um, the, the main guy, uh, the, the guy who was actually in prison was called Albert Bacon Fall, which is a cool name, I like. But uh, he gave evidence to Congress about this and he had the following quote, and this might be very familiar. Sir, if you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and my straw reaches across the room, I'll end up drinking your milkshake. That was, uh, that was Albert Bacon Fall, who said that in the, uh, the Teapot Dome scandal. It's good defense. Oh, as in, I drink your milkshake, etc. Uh, teapot Dome is named after a geographical feature, which is a rock that looked like a big teapot. The spout, uh, the handle fell off in 1930, and the spout fell off in 1962, both due to windstorms. And it's arguably a monument to old father time or a symbol of America. The spout fell off, and then the handle, etc. So now it's just the dome. Um, dome. Yeah, now it's just like a rock, really. Yes. Yeah. It's not so impressive now, but there's cool old photos of it. So uh, they elected the first woman governor in U.S. history in 1924, uh, Nellie yep. Taylor-Ross, hey. which is good. Um, Quite good, yes. So she was the widow of the previous governor, and they presumably reckon she'd been doing a lot, of, most of the hard work anyway, or, yep. or similar. Uh, and that sets a tradition. They'd also appointed the first female... Ex- official in the 1890s uh, oh. a county commissioner or something but this is the first um, um state executive she would uh, go on to be the first head of the u.s mint as ah well. yes she was yeah, a, a proper person so yeah during the 30s then like much of the u.s the great depression hit uh crop prices plummeted and a lot of mines shut down and growth uh, population growth and uh, gdp growth also slowed down but thankfully <laughs> I guess for Wyoming, or certain people in Wyoming, uh, the Second World War brought a lot of money back into the state. Yay! Uh, because there was, there was high we demand for state oil, coal, lumber, and meat. So a lot of the kind of uh, staple products that Wyoming ha- has been, you know, uh, established as producing over the, mm-hmm. the past, you know, 100 years, um, they're all crucial to the war effort. So uh, economic devel- development continued unabated uh, following the war's end. Uh, tourism increased after the Second World War, uh, and two new minerals, which were discovered in Wyoming, trona and uranium, which you might be able oh, yes. to speak a little bit more about, Joe. They sparked industrial development. Uranium, obviously, uh, important for nuclear weapons and nuclear power plants. And yeah, that sort power of thing. plants more so. Yeah, um, yeah. And, so, and and there is a mad thing they were doing in the seventies. They were planning on using nuclear bombs underground to essentially like release natural gas from a uh, oh my god nuclear wow. fracking yeah nuclear fracking um i think Jeez, i couldn't Jesus. quite figure out if it was completely stopped or they stopped at testing stage but um local residents thought the water might be affected by the nuclear fracking <laughs> which is um yeah 
I think Project Wagon Wheel, if I remember correctly, is the name. Wow. So th- that's a very quaintly named nuclear bomb project. Yeah, it yeah. sounded completely bonkers. And they had to use like Sounds smaller mad. bombs than they wanted in sequence to avoid like violating international weapons treaties and so on. Yeah. Uh, there, okay. there, there, there was a, a dark moment in, in the um, during World War II, which is a, a general American problem that happened, which is basically the, the internment of all Japanese Americans, ethnically Japanese mm. Americans, be they citizens or, or immigrants or, you know, or whatever, or whatever basically, um, yeah. were rounded up and sent to camps um, because they were racially suspicious, particularly um, in the West Coast. I mean, I think in the East Coast, it was less. Oh, yeah, it was mainly West Coast. That's where, where the Japanese Americans were. were generally That's where they were, yeah. California, but one of the biggest um, relocation centers was in Wyoming, and, and at its peak, yep. ten thousand seven hundred sixty-seven Japanese Americans were interned in the Heart Mountain relocation center, uh, which made it at that point the third most populous settlement in the state. Was it? Yep. Essentially, uh, an open air prison. It was uh, one of the biggest internment camps that the U.S. had in this period. Uh, just a little few bits about it. It was seven hundred and forty acres. Um, the building quality was terrible mm-hmm. because they, they built it in 60 days. Uh, newspaper ads recruiting laborers promised jobs if you can drive a nail, and workers boasted that it took them 58 minutes to build an apartment barracks. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. Uh, the um, Caucasian Nurses in Heart Mountain Hospital, which was built there, I mean, they, had, they had other facilities in there as well as just the, as just the barracks. The nurses, the white nurses were paid $150 a month, and Japanese-American doctors were paid 19 hmm. uh, just to give you an idea of, of the vibe that was there. Um, oh, yeah, and something I didn't know, actually, this is a, a new thing I learned about the Japanese internment, that they still drafted for the military from the internment camps. Oh, come on. Oh, man. They still forced them to serve in the, in the armed forces. And uh, it actually became, this camp became well-known because there was actually quite a lot of resistance to this, um, you know, for obvious reasons, because it's really awful. Um, and at the same time, still quite a lot of Japanese-Americans served in the armed forces. I think, um, was it? I think 10% of Wyoming's population served in the armed forces in general, but I think a, a few hundred anyway from this uh, internment camp. And two former inhabitants of Heart Mountain were awarded the Medal of Honor. Um, hmm. Yeah, which is apparently more than any other internment camp, which is a weird record. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that so is what it is. Um, modern day? One other thing. One more thing, uh, as well as internment, they also had POW camps, uh, which were mainly used for Italians and then later German prisoners. I did just read about some of the escape attempts, which were really good. Uh, guards found two prisoners in a haystack downriver from the camp, both clothed in six pairs of GI winter underwear. Uh, on another occasion, three Germans hid their escape by the clever use of paper dummies that their comrades propped up during roll call. Uh, another group of escapees made it south, uh, 25 miles, where they hid out for a week until their capture, when they inquired what state they were now in. Uh, so, yeah. And apparently a lot of the, the German prisoners were, like, the Italians were, you know, Italian fighting men, whereas the, the German prisoners were, like, children and very old men. Um, and they also had a few, only a few, hardcore Nazis in there, so it made it very difficult to have a paper uh, as was kind of a common thing for these large uh, POW camps, because yeah. the, the the really hardcore Nazis would just make it Nazi-ish, and then they couldn't have a paper anymore. Right. Okay. 
Yeah. So yeah, c- coming up to closer to now, um, Dick Cheney is from here. Uh, is is he from here? Yeah. I think he just didn't he just go to university there. He's definitely the le- leading leading figure in the state. He grew up in Casper. He was born in Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah, I think his either his daughter or one of his like a relative of his anyway, at Cheney is uh, one of the senators, I believe, for um, Wyoming now. So mm. almost like it's established a, a political dynasty. Yeah, so he he was a um, uh, he he was the the single representative in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1978 for five more terms. Oh, she's the representative, Liz Cheney, uh, the representative, not the not the senator. Oh, so, okay. yeah. Um, wow. And it's interesting to note actually here that the Wyoming citizens arguably are the most powerful voters in the US per capita yeah. in terms of electing the president because that's done by a college system where yeah. each state gets the votes related to how many senators and representatives they have. Every state has two senators regardless of size yeah. and every state must have one representative. Okay. So, so I mean... Wyoming has a tiny population, but still gets one representative compared to, yeah. say, California, um, or, yeah, Texas with only 450,000 yeah. voters. And so they're arguably worth 3.64 New York voters who, uh, you know, so that's interesting. Uh, and Cheney uh, went on to be vice president, right, under in Bush's yep, second term. He was, yeah, yeah. Ah, and he was CEO of Halliburton yeah. as well. Yeah. Which is was, an arms yes. company? No, no oil, oil services company. Yeah. oil company uh, and we mentioned the Wind River reservation earlier it's now shared between 2,500 East, uh, 2, Eastern Shoshone people who were the ones originally given the territory and then they were forced to share it with um, with the Arapaho people of which is 4,500 and now poverty is, is terribly high in, yeah. in this district which is a great pity yeah Two of the largest uh, coal mines in the world still are located in Wyoming, and yep. coal accounts for about forty percent of the uh, U.S. domestic supply. So it's it's still big business, but but definitely not as big as it used to be. Um, also, apparently, there are only two escalators in the whole state, uh, which yep. are located in Casper. Uh, Who needs more? And the fact the fact that I read said uh, that number is doubled if you count the up and down sides independent system. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> which is a real stretch. That's bleak. Yeah, there's only one university, which is the University of Wyoming, and also uh, J.C. Penney opened his first store here in 1902, and there's oh, approximately uh, 1,000 J.C. Penneys across America today. Hello, I'm that guy from There Will Be Blood, who was mentioned in the podcast about the Teapot Dome scandal and all. Daniel Day Lewis, that's my name. I'm drinking up milkshakes left and right, and I urge you to drink up the milkshake of opportunity to support the 80 Days podcast on Patreon. Drink it up. And then two famous people I came across who were born yep. here was a uh, Matthew Fox who who played Jack and Lost for people terrible and then, show and terrible then disappeared show. like and then, just disappeared from TV and film yeah. I, I don't think I've seen him in anything since he, then. he grew up in Crowheart anyway that place where the, the ah, right. cannibalism thing happened wow right yeah, yeah. and apparently Jackson Pollock the artist was born here but 
Like, yes, mm, indeed. Didn't really live there very long. Uh, just a few things, a uh, few bits and babs for me. They're fifth in the country for natural gas production. So I think there's actually quite a lot of fracking there now. The, you mentioned coal. They produce triple the amount of coal of the second biggest producer, which is West wow. Virginia. They produce, okay. a, and it's, it's how they get all their power as well. It's all basically coal-fired. They have a bit of wind, but not much. Um, they don't have income tax. Yeah, I yeah. that one interesting. They're one of seven um, states, I believe, that doesn't have income tax. How do they raise any money? Sales tax. S- sales tax is 4%. Sales tax is crap. Yeah, like sales it tax in Ireland is 23%. Yeah. And we pay income tax. Yeah. Um, apparently, counties have the option of collecting more tax, like by 1%, mm-hmm. but they have to make a really good case and get people to vote for it. Uh, yeah, it's very, 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 very low tax. But there state. are decent taxes on um, natural resource extraction. Ah, okay. That's quite good. Yeah, so it's a, it's an interesting approach to kind of tax, I suppose, the product, the productive land and commerce, but not work, which is... It's not going to work out well for them in the future, it doesn't seem like. It seems like a, a model that would have worked well, you know, back in the 1950s, yeah. but not so much today. Mm-hmm. Um, um uh, e. Annie Proulx, who's the author of Brokeback Mountain, uh, that was set in Wyoming mm. as well. Um, she it's was not a there. real mountain, apparently. Not a real mountain. A, lo- um, a lot of people look for it. Apparently, in Wyoming, they like a lot of tourists asked to, to kind of visit the area or like where it was shot, and like it was, I believe, it was shot in Canada. <laughs> the they are quite a shooty state, mm-hmm. as you might imagine. You know, quite a frontiersman tradition type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's mainly, it's mainly. Um, actual suicides it actually has a very high suicide rate uh, number four in in the u.s uh, alaska being number one and uh, they have one gun for every five people and are number six on the list of deaths by firearm uh, there is one nice thing i just wanted to mention uh, there's a place called two ocean creek which is essentially a creek where the water what is one creek is two ocean creek uh, the oh. atlantic creek goes east its waters connect with the yellowstone river then the missouri and then the mississippi and then hits the atlantic uh that's a three and a half thousand mile journey. Then there's Pacific Creek, which is a two, two oceans creek, and flows west. It meets up with the Snake River, then the Columbia River, and then into the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Um, so there's one little creek with two oceans of ocean. That's amazing. That is really cool. Water. Yeah. Uh, that's quite uh, symbolic of, of something. Uh, of, hmm. of Wyoming's role as the middle. Yeah. One, uh, one other thing is that Wyoming has been very politically conservative, as I guess you touched on, Mark, since the 50s. With the Republican Party candidate winning every present every presidential election except in 1964, since the 50s, and that was LBJ who like swept LBJ, the, yeah. the map in that uh, in that year. Yeah. Um, do we have anything on sports? Anybody, no. <laughs> they, no? They, they had a team for a while and they're long gone. But yeah, largely no sports. I had looked through lots of famous sports people. I didn't recognize any of them. I mean. Maybe there are big deals. Sorry if you're a famous so. sports person listening from Wyoming. Uh, we we <laughs> apparently we, haven't heard of you. Yeah, we haven't heard of you either, famous sports person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, there we go. Do write us if you are. If you are listening and you are a famous sports person from Wyoming, do write us and we'll, we'll mention you in a future episode. Yes. Um, is that it? So, we're I, I think, that, that, that is we're it. Good, so. We're, we're right. done. Middle of America. Equal rights. Middle equal rights. For some, depending on the time, and then yeah. not the Chinese or the Native Americans. Women, kind of, but only because we were worried about the African Americans. Yeah. And, uh, 
Well, Wyoming! Yay! <laughs> the cowboy state. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I just can't quit you, state. <laughs> I just can't quit you. <laughs> Um, a really interesting place if, and and i would recommend we might put a link to some videos of, of people driving across the state it's just so big yeah you know oh there's, there's a, a highway called like the like I don't oh, know, yeah, the highway do. to heaven or something mm-hmm. uh but there's a, spe- a point that if you stand at it looks like the highway is actually going up into the sky cool. uh on i nice um yeah if you want to get in touch with us, whether you're a famous athlete or not, we would really appreciate that. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching 80 Days Podcast. Or you can email us the old-fashioned way at 80dayspodcast at gmail.com. We would also really appreciate it if you would leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. That would really help us out and uh, helps us to reach more listeners. And we also have to thank our new patrons, on patreon this month aaron barkley and andy elric thank you guys so much uh some of you might remember aaron from last season's two-part episode on cuba thank you guys so much for your support we really appreciate it if you want to support us on patreon and get all the perks that come along with that you can check out patreon.com forward slash 80 days podcast and finally if you want to learn even more about wyoming there will be uh links and videos and photos in the show notes which should be available in your podcast app or also available at our website, 80dayspodcast.com. Mark, where can people find out more about you on the internet? Oh, God. Uh, uh, my my poor, poorly uh, updated blog is probably not worth plugging at this point. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll access some more free time in the near future. No, that's not true. Uh, Twitter, I guess, uh, at MarkBoyle86. You can grab, grab, grab me there. Grab me there. And Joe. Yeah, my, my infrequently updated blog is also available. It's just time to burn.com. All right. You can find more about me on my website, lukejkelly.com, or at the Luke J. Kelly on Twitter. Thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye for now. Bye bye.